Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This is the Believe in Pro Wrestling Podcast. Here's Rick Uccino and SP3 on the Believe Podcast Network. You know, SP3, there are only so many guarantees in life, right? Death, taxes, Chris Paul blowing it in Game 7, and yourself and me here with y'all fine people on a Monday afternoon here on Believe in Pro Wrestling after a gorgeous weekend, I hope for you, as it was for me here in Cincinnati. I got to get out on the golf course yesterday, so you know I'm in a good mood today. SP3, how you doing? Good, sir. That might be in the greatest intro you've ever done in the history of the Believe in Pro Wrestling podcast because there was no greater feeling than starting off my birthday week with Chris Paul choking in a game seven. Oh, and seven in game seven. Bet online. Go to bet online because you should have put your money on the maps that Chris Paul was going to choke. Oh my goodness. I have I knew seen... the second. I knew the second that Stephen A, right, said that the Suns were gonna blow out Dallas in game seven. I knew the second he said that, this was over. This is over. Big D was winning. If you're waking up in Dallas this morning, like I'm wondering how you feel, right? About about your day. Because you had the Mavericks who completely blow out the Suns in game seven, and then the stars lose the way that they did in game seven last night. So it's like if you're a hockey fan, you're kind of depressed this morning. If you're a basketball fan, you are all for it, as Luka is probably going to lead you to an NBA championship. Maybe. We'll see. Maybe. Uh, but we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk. <laughs> I don't know that much about the NBA, SP3. Trust me, if there ain't a team in Cincinnati there, all right, I am a casual fan at best. All right? that that's, We hear that term thrown around in wrestling, right? I'm a casual NBA fan at best because I don't have a rooting interest. Typically, as a you know, as a guy who lives in a sports town that hasn't won in three decades, I root for the cities that haven't won championships in a while because I want them to have the feeling that I haven't had in my lifetime. So when the Bucks won last year, great, I was happy for that fan base because it had been forever. Plus, uh, the Big O, you know, one of the Cincinnati's greats, they played for Milwaukee. So I was like, all right, you know, that, that's cool. Everything works. So I root for the have-nots as far you, as so you should. You honestly, by that, by that kind of logic, you should be rooting for the Boston Celtics, who have won more championships than any team in NBA history. Right. I didn't say, I, I, honestly, I'll root for Dallas. I will. I'll root for they Dallas. They won one 10 years ago. That, 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 they, that's they, a long they, time. They, the Celtics won one in 2008. That's like, that's 14 years ago. <sighs> I'm just going by your logic, sir. I was hoping for the Suns. I, I honestly, I was rooting for the Suns, but oh no, no they are choke. I haven't seen this much choking since the Brothers of Destruction went crazy on folks. <laughs> oh my! Goodness. I didn't say I was betting on them. I said I was rooting for them. If you want to bet on any of the four teams that are left, by the way. Our partners at Bet Online are the continued number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. Find the latest developments, including updated odds on the NBA and NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball fights, even next season's NFL futures. Bet Online, your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting in your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. Super easy to get started. 
Head on over to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code BELIEVE to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, promo code BLEAV. Bet online where the game starts. And uh, yes, welcome into everybody, Noob and Chase and everybody joining us here in the chat. Make sure to uh, to get your comments in. Joshua, his bucks disappointed me. It's all Sorry. Right. It's all right. They disappointed me too. I was rooting for Giannis. Uh, I'm a, I'm a Giannis like fan, best, best player in the world. Uh, Chase, Jason Tatum, the best overall, best complete player left in the NBA playoffs. But I know you guys came here for some wrestling chatter. Yeah, so I know, I, right? I, I did a, I did enough of that on uh, MMC. It's usually FMC, Friday morning coffee over on Fightful Overbook. But this morning, it was MMC, Monday morning choke. So check that out <laughs> over with me and Jeremy. Oh, my God. The game sevens yesterday were horrible. But anyway, lots to, <laughs> lots to cover uh, today on the Believe in Pro Wrestling uh, podcast, including WWE Universal Champion Roman Reigns. WWE puts both strats on him and apparently is parking him because he ain't going to be at Hell in a Cell uh, competing anyway. We will talk about that. If Reigns is out, what should be the main event in Chicago? We all know what it is going to be, but what should it be? Also, can a, can a loss look any more gorgeous than what Raquel Rodriguez got this Friday on SmackDown? We will dive into all that and more, but first things first. The man who continues to dominate the headlines in the world of professional wrestling is one MJF and this contract saga of his. Let me re- let me just remind everybody. His contract ain't up until 2024. It is currently May 16th, 2022. Get ready to hear about this for a long long Time and the fact that we are already sitting here with the countdown clock waiting until the great bidding war of 2024 just shows you one how great of a businessman MJF is, and two, how much this man knows how to stir it up and keep himself in the headlines, which is honestly the most important thing I think to MJF at this point. Uh, but uh, SP3, you kind of got the rundown more than I than I do as far as like logistics because it's like I had a busy weekend. I'm tearing down my deck. I was on the golf course. I'm trying to follow this along. There's a lot of moving parts. What exactly is the latest with MJS contract situation and AEW? So this first was reported by Fightful uh, back in March that MJF was frustrated with his contract situation. Uh, He had a heated discussion with Tony Khan. Tony Khan was upset due to MJF having a interview with Ariel Awani on his podcast without informing AEW PR. Yes, Fightful uh, put out a report, an update on that on, I believe it was Friday, where they talked about how uh, Tony Khan is totally fine with it now, but MJF is still frustrated with his contract situation, feeling like he is underpaid. um, And basically, he's leaning towards not re-signing with AEW come 2024 and may potentially be going to WWE. Then uh, Saturday, 
Will Washington of the Graph City Podcast over on Fightful. He talked about this uh, is, this discussion a little bit, and he got contacted by someone in the AEW locker room who informed him that the a lot of people in the locker room aren't on MJF's side when it comes to this. And the person that contacted him said that it would set a horrible precedent if Tony was to renegotiate a deal that was currently, uh, you know, active without getting getting a guaranteed for more years on his contract because that's not how contracts work. Right. And that basically led to a lot of people believing that MJF wanted a raise without having an extension of his deal. And then Sean Rossap put out a further report, an update on that report on um. I believe it was yesterday. Yes, Sunday. Yesterday, uh, basically informing of this whole situation. And the report says, and I quote here, uh, they have not heard of any outright negotiations between the two sides. Uh, Fightful haven't heard of a specific contract being offered to MJF or MJF angling for anything. However, there have been overtures made towards MJF to launch contract talks that MJF hasn't seemed to outright address. There have been no indications of formal talks actually happening to this point, only that MJF continued to be frustrated after the initial heated conversation between him and Tony Khan. Those that Fightful spoken to say that MJF doesn't typically talk about these interpersonal backstage, uh, these interpersonal situations backstage, and that Tony Khan plays a lot of things close to the vest. But one talent indicated that Tony Khan claimed to them that he would obviously be willing to pay MJF comparable to other top stars. There, there are plenty of differing opinions within the company on this situation, and there are some that Fightful spoke to that believe MJF outperformed his contracts. And, un and others that believe it sets a bad precedent for the company to rework a current deal. It's worth noting that several deals there that have been reworked have also had added time involved and Fightful confirmed that from MJF's side of things, the effort isn't to gain more money without an extension because contracts don't work like that. All right. So there, there, there's a lot here, right? So MJF is going to, is continuously being very, open and honest about his contract situation and that he he feels like he has vastly outperformed his initial contract and i don't think that there is anybody that is going to dispute that now so here's the thing right you ever heard of a uh, immovable force meets the unstoppable object and they collide right this is kind of like where we're at because if you're mjf why on god's green earth would you sign any kind of an extension until you can find out how much money WWE is going to offer you. There's no point to negotiations if you're Tony Khan, because MJF, being the smart man that he is, he ain't going to listen. He's yeah. not going to listen until he finds out how much WWE is going to pay him. But at the same point, if MJF is going to not negotiate because he wants to know how much WWE is going to pay him before he goes to the negotiating table with AEW, but he's still going to be continuously outward frustrated with his contract. It's kind of like, okay, so what's the play here? And the play for MJF is what it always is. It's stirring up controversy. It's getting people talking. It's getting people to go, is he working or shooting? I got the answer for you. It's a bit of both. Oh yeah. What MJF does. He is placating. This is theater at its finest, which makes MJF, so damn good at what he does that he is just flat out saying i can leave tomorrow go to wwe and i can guarantee 
that I ain't going to get up and have to put up with the bullshit that my boy Sean Spears had to put up with. He had some great liners with uh, in his conversation with wrestling that I'm sure Tony Khan did not appreciate. All right. He oh, says, no. and, and then as he's sitting there going, maybe I want to, maybe I can't wait to leave this damn company. Maybe I'll resign tomorrow. Who the hell knows? He is just started up and he is sitting back probably on his phone, on Twitter, laughing his damn ass off as everybody tries to analyze every little bit about this contract. Is it a work? Is it a shoot? Guess what? It's both. And strap in, folks, because until Tony Khan backs up a Brinks truck and makes him the highest paid person in AEW, which might be the only way that they get him to sign before negotiations could start with WWE, like in all seriousness, this is going to be the norm. We're going to hear about this contract for the next 18 months. Oh, yeah. It's, and it's a great play by MJF. Like you said, like he's playing both sides. He's keeping his his name in the headlines. He's keeping his name in the conversation. So he's going to get the big money deal from AEW and he's going to get a big money deal from WWE. This is only the smart thing to do, but it's, it's going to be up to Tony Khan of how he plays this out, because does this affect the fact that he's not willing to get an extension or have a new deal? Does it affect how Tony Tony Khan's going to book? Does it affect that? Who's going to be the AEW world champion? Because already in my eyes, I feel like they have already kind of skipped somebody ahead of him with CM Punk. And I feel like the, the logical thing would have been going from Hangman Adam Page to MJF. You have two of your, your best homegrown stars that you've created in your first three years of the company. I thought that he was going to be nest in line, but it kind of looks like they're going towards CM Punk. But logically, if CM Punk wins, I would think MJF is the next after him but does yeah. Tony do that now? So they could play with this in so many different ways where they can kind of create their own version of the Summer of Punk where MJF could potentially win the title closer to when his contract expires and he can kind of play with things and negotiate with WWE as the AEW world champion. And there's a lot of people that be like, oh, Tony wouldn't do that. A lot of people said Vince McMahon wouldn't put the title on Bret the Hitman Hart when his deal was up in 1997, but he did that. And we all know what that created. That created one of the biggest moments in wrestling history with the Montreal Screwjob, which in when you look at it in retrospect, helped out WWE a lot because it created enough controversy that created the whole Mr. McMahon character, which is one of the greatest heels of all time. And in 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 layman's turn, helped out the one of the biggest baby faces of all time in Stone Cold Steve Austin. So there's many different ways that they can go about this. And I, I don't know how they're going to go about it right now, but MJF is in a good situation at the moment. Yeah, look, and I would think that it would only behoove Tony Khan to, to book MJF as honestly as best as you can. Because if you want to hang on to MJF, you can't give him no WWE, FTR, we're going to put you in bow tie and suspenders, you know, basically turn you into Mad Cat Moss, right? Like you can't, you can't do that and then expect him to, to re-sign when you offer him a, 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 a puttload of money uh, in 2024. I would assume MJF would want money. Yes, that does seem to be a huge motivating factor for him, but I would assume that the booking needs to be there as well. So you got to continue to book him as though he's going to be with you until he's no longer with you. And I think that would be my that would be my suggestion for for anybody in any position. You can't 
Just say, oh, well, that guy's got to quit in six months. We'll worry about that when he finally turns in the two-week notice, all right? So continue to build and keep people happy, and maybe they'll stay there. And Obviously, a lot can change between now and, and 2024. Again, we got 18 months of this. And maybe, you know, they play this up for a few more months and they decide, hey, yeah, okay, I decided I wanted to resign because Tony Khan has uh, decided I was right. I was right because I'm still outperforming and outdrawing a lot of these guys that you have brought in that are making more than me. And I completely understand MJF's point of view on this because I have been there. I have been in this situation where I have been with a company for years where I believe in my heart of hearts that I am one of their top performers and then all of a sudden they're bringing in new people that i'm helping bring along and these new people are making more than i am all right show me the damn love all right i uh, totally yes. understand the frustration from mjf and i am 100 on his side on that side of things but mjf also knows his position to where he can use social media he can use the world he's in a position right where he's got a contract he's guaranteed to get a paycheck through 2024 and now he can use all of these tools to his advantage to work out his next big deal, whether that's with WWE or AEW. And again, it's only smart. It is only smart for him to actually get to the negotiating table unless he's got somebody doing some tampering for him and he knows exactly how much WWE is willing to offer him at this point, which I'm sure there's a little bit of that going on as well. Oh, he's friends with Cody Rhodes. So they, he said he said that in the wrestling interview uh, that he in Texas, Cody Rhodes a lot, but he had a great, like you said, he had some great quotes in the wrestling a wrestling podcast. One of which was, and I quote, "Let me explain something to you. By 2024, Daddy is going to make more money than the Hardys have made in their entire run. Once you get into Long Island, you don't want to leave Long Island. So, what does it matter if the traffic is bad coming out? I can't wait to leave this company." How about that? Oh, no. Hope I don't. That doesn't ruffle any feathers in the office. Oh, no. Who said AEW? I didn't say AEW. You just said AEW. Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. Maybe I'm in a crap mood. Maybe I hate my boss. Maybe I effing love my boss. Who knows? Uh, I think there's a lot of stuff going on in this company that isn't is is inaccurate. I think all these all these XF and WWE guys that are making an absurd amount of money when quite frankly they can't sniff my effing jock when it comes to the ratings. I pull in whenever I am on screen. I think they can all go to hell. I think that somebody in the upper management has a problem with me and it's very obvious if you see what I am dealing with week to week. So like He's he's saying all of this, and like you said, it's a bit of a work, and it's a bit of it's a bit of a shoot because yeah. yes, he's frustrated with the current deal that he's on because when he signed in 2019, he was a relative unknown. So he signed a five-year deal because they were someone that they viewed. He was someone that they viewed as one of the pillars of the company, someone that they can build the company on. And they have done just that and made him the top heel. So now he feels he should be paid on the other people's, uh, you know, on the top star rate. And Tony Khan feels that way as well from, from what the reports say. But if he's not going to, he's not going to do a deal that he's not going to get an, ex if he doesn't want to do an extension, then Tony Khan really has his hands tied. He just has to keep doing what he's doing. Let MJF be frustrated. Let MJF do these work shoot promos in these interviews, because that's the only thing he's able to do. You know, it would, 
I'm trying to think, like, is there a way that these these superstars or these professional wrestlers, whichever company we're talking about here, right? If you're in a position where you're like MJF and they basically signed him as a prospect, right? They signed him as a guy that they thought they could groom and build into being a top star and they succeeded, but he's still getting that, that starter money pay, right? Like that startup company, bottom level pay. And then they're bringing in the punks and they're bringing in the Brian Danielsons and they're bringing in the, the Keith Lee's and all of these dudes, the Alistair blacks, all these guys that have come in, right. And are making top dollar, uh, allegedly. We don't know how much they're actually making, but they're bringing in some decent coin uh, from these 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 WWE guys. Is there a way that they could do some kind of incentive latent deal when they sign something like that? You know, like in football, right? Okay, if I get ten touchdowns, if I make a Pro Bowl, if I go to the playoffs, this, that, and the other thing, I make more money. It would almost behoove some of these stars if they could negotiate something like that to where they could bet on themselves, where MJF could actually earn a raise by hitting some incentives. I don't know how you could do that, whether it's merch sales, whether it's rating sales or this, that, and the other thing. I don't know how they could do that. But if that would be be dumb on Tony Khan's part, because that's where that's what Eric Bischoff got himself in trouble with Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. Scott Hall and Kevin Nash had a clause in their deal that anytime WCW signed someone to a big money contract, they could go back to the table and renegotiate their deal. There's a reason why people can't restructure their current deals anymore, because Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, yes, they helped out the wrestling world with guaranteed contracts, but they also hurt the wrestling world where you can't. It's not smart, and it proved not to be smart to do those type of deals anymore. But I'm not talking about renegotiating. I'm just talking about bonuses. Like that's it. I'm just talking about. No, that's basically restructuring. You you sign the deal for a certain amount of money, and then you're you're talking about like incentives where it's not really. There's no. It's it's not like sports. It's not. Oh, I win a championship. That means I get more money. You. It's Tony Khan at the end of the day that's putting the championship on you. Yeah, yeah, it's not. It's not like that. It's it can't work like that. The only way that it could work where you get like a bonus or more money is if you do the Kevin Nash and Scott Hall thing, where anytime they sign a CM Punk, a Brian Danielson, I can go back to the contract and I can get the the, uh, a basically on the same rate or match their their dollar amount, and that has proven not to be wise. Like I said, I think the only way that you could do it, because you can't go off stats, like you said, right? Because at the end of the day, it's Tony Khan who's booking it. And if he said, oh, well, I get a million dollar bonus if I become a four-time AEW world champion, well, guess what you're not going to do? You ain't going to win the damn title four times. That's not going to happen. But if you could do something surrounding ratings as far as top draw, if you could do something surrounding merchandise sales, something like that. But then again, the company is also the ones that help put out how much merchandise that you have. So at the end of the day, yeah, you're probably not going to hit those anyway. That was just and one of you, those you, you also, you get more money off of like merchandise anyway in AEW. I think they have a certain deal where, yeah, they make a certain amount, but I think you make more off your merchandise and you can go to other places to sell merch in AEW that you can't do in WWE. What is going on, uh, Safet and everybody else who is joining us here? We do appreciate you guys. Get your comments in, get your questions in. Even if you got a topic you want us to, to bring up today, uh, we'll we'll try to hit it as well as we're about to, to dive into here on the five count. But uh, yeah, one thing's for sure, man. MJF's going to give us a lot to talk about uh, over the course of the next uh, several months, and I am absolutely here for it because I'm I'm kind of selfish because all I do is I root for things to talk about. People like MJF give me things to talk about, and that's 
that's what I really, really appreciate. Uh, something big to talk about here uh, as far as the, the good old E is concerned. So let's dive into that, shall we? It's time to answer the five count on the Believe Podcast Network. So SP3, um, they decided a few months, a few weeks back, as you very well know, to unify the WWE and Universal Championships. They decided to put them both on Roman Reigns. And we talked about this a lot. Like, okay, the interesting thing is going to be, what do they decide to do with Roman Reigns after he becomes the double champion? Who's going to, is he going to be working both shows? Is he going to be defending both titles? Are they actually unifying the championships? How are they going to book Roman Reigns? Well, apparently, apparently, how they've decided to book Roman Reigns is to just park him, just sit him. He ain't defending that championship against anybody. Not right now, anyway. According to recent reports, he is being held out of Hell in a Cell. This is Hell in a Cell. This is in Chicago, all right? This isn't, this isn't WrestleMania backlash, all right? We, we talked about how they wanted to hold off Reigns and Drew McIntyre until a bigger premium live event. Talked about how that kind of sets a... You know, if I'm if I'm one of those fans that was in Providence, Rhode Island, I'm a little pissed, right? Because I'm like, okay, why aren't we good enough? Why isn't this pay-per-view, this premium live event? Could it really be called a premium live event if you want to hold off a big money match until further down the road for another premium live event? Well, now we're in Chicago, Illinois. Hell in a cell. No Roman Reigns. Probably won't even compete. At least Roman Reigns, they shoehorned him into a match. At WrestleMania Backlash. So at least Providence, Rhode Island got to see Roman Reigns perform. Now, all of a sudden, we're at Hell in a Cell ahead of three straight stadium shows, and they're like, nah, we're not even going to put Roman Reigns and Shinsuke Nakamura on this card. Ain't that going to happen? We're holding it off until Money in the Bank. Maybe. So my question, I, I, I'm pretty sure Roman Reigns is going to compete in Las Vegas. I'm pretty damn sure. The last time I checked, Chicago is a big, immediate, bigger media market. But anyway, does this kind of set a, a, a bad precedent for the company? Because I think it, it could be very, very easy to sit here, like I just said, and go, well, wait a minute, man. What the hell are you doing not putting the WWE or Universal Championship on these shows, especially when you're in Chicago? That's a major media market. That's a major wrestling market. AEW goes out of their way to put on the best show possible in Chicago. They practically own Chicago, Illinois, as far as wrestling is concerned. And now WWE's rolling in. You ain't putting Roman Reigns on this damn card. I think it's very easy to take that route, and that might be the right one to take. It sets a bad precedent that not all premium live events are considered equal. But I think if WrestleMania Backlash taught us anything, that WWE doesn't necessarily have to showcase Roman Reigns to put on a good show. And this could open up WWE if they want to, to showcase and main event their other talent and their other titles, like their Raw Women's Championship or their SmackDown Women's Championship, or God forbid, the United States and Intercontinental Championships. Intercontinental, Intercontinental title still hasn't been on a premium live event. Since WrestleMania 37, Ricochet is 0 for 1 in saying that it was never going to miss another premium live event. He's already 0 for 1. He still ain't feuding with anybody. They could build up high-level shows that aren't built around the world title scene if they wanted to, which in that case, this could be a good precedent for the rest of the locker room. Question is, which way are they going to go? Um. Well, this sets a bad 
a bad precedent that not all the premium live events are important in WWE's eyes. But at the end of the day, this is something that I've known for years. WWE views WWE as the biggest star of the company. It's not Roman Reigns. It's not Brock Lesnar. It's not John Cena. It's not Roman Reigns. It's not Charlotte Flair. It's not Becky Lynch. It's not Bianca Belair. It's those three letters, WWE. And to them, Hell in a Cell, the biggest draw of Hell in a Cell, is none of those stars either. It's the cell itself. And you can put anyone in the cell, and they feel like it would sell tickets. And I kind of have to agree with them. WWE has shown this in the past. They've shown this with the last premium live event. Yes, Roman Reigns was on the card, and that helped them sell more tickets in the two weeks his match was announced. But for Hell in a Cell... No, the bigger draw is going to be the cell match. So you can put whoever you want inside the cell. That's what's going to sell. But at the end of the day, yes, AEW goes more harder for Chicago. And if you did a poll, like if this was a presidential race and you had to be one state is going to be, you know, black and red and the other state is going to be black and gold. Chicago would be a black and gold state. That would be an AE. That would be an AEW country. And here's my thing, right? Like part of me is sitting here going, all right, WWE has 10 to 12 premium live events a year where AEW has four and they love that four pay-per-view structure. And I'm sitting here going, all right, would eventually AEW kind of fall into that same mold where they're going, oh, well, it's just Fighter Fest, or oh, well, it's just, you know, what was the 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 Cleveland Beach thing? What was that one called? This, that, the Beach Break. Yeah, Beach Break. Oh, it's just Beach Break. All right, this, this doesn't draw nearly as well as these, so we don't have to put on our best show possible. But then they go all out to put out these fantastic TV specials too, and that's free freaking television that they go out and do this stuff. So, you know, it's like, AEW goes out of their way to book Beach Break better than it seems WWE went out of their way to book WrestleMania Backlash. But at the same time, AEW goes above and beyond for their premium live events, or excuse me, their pay-per-views. Those are actually pay-per-views. People have to shell out $50, $60 for those shows, whereas anybody who has Peacock can get it for $4.99 as in, in WWE's eyes. So, I mean, it, it does set a bad precedent, but they could turn it into a good thing. Because WWE, if they show they care about something, then the fans care about it. The only reason nobody seems to give a shit about the United States of the Intercontinental Championship is because WWE flat out says those titles don't mean a damn thing. But you got old people like me who remember when the Intercontinental title used to mean something and want it to go back to that. But nah, instead we get Ricochet talking to Drew Gulag on Friday before he gets the soul chopped out of him. That's the only time we've seen Ricochet on, on, on SmackDown. We, we, who, we don't have a challenger. Think about this. We don't have a legit challenger right now for the WWE, Universal, United States, or Intercontinental Championships right now. Who's the number one contender for any of those belts? Those are the top four men's titles. Has that ever happened in WWE history where we have no clue who the number one contender is for any of those championships? I don't know what to tell you. I already told you. WWE views their letters as the biggest star. It doesn't matter who's on the card. 
they feel like, and it's not even about selling tickets for them anymore. It's about the TV revenue. It's about all the subscribers of Peacock. It doesn't matter if you watch WrestleMania or not. They count everyone who's a subscriber to Peacock as someone that watched the show because they had it available to themselves. Good point. More people watch on YouTube anyway. So here's the question. If Reigns is going to be, and this is all reports, by the way, they could end up throwing Shinsuke Nakamura and Roman Reigns on there. Who the hell knows? But if Roman Reigns is held out, I think we're pretty damn clear, judging by the poster for Hell in a Cell, what the main event is going to be. But SB3, let's just say you're the booker for this show. Roman Reigns is out. What are you putting in the main event of Hell in a Cell in Chicago? It's what the poster says is going to be. It's going to be Cody Rhodes versus Seth Rollins. No, I don't think this feud is worthy of the Hell in a Cell stipulation because Cody has beaten them twice, and it's not really that personal, despite Seth Rollins costing him the United States Championship because Cody oh sure cares so much about that title like, yep. like WWE does, but that should be the main event because they're pushing this narrative that Cody Rhodes is, a, is their top babyface over on Raw. It makes a whole world of sense to me to put him in the main event. And you saw, you have seen twice at WrestleMania and WrestleMania Backlash that Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins have tremendous chemistry together. And I think that they can deliver a fantastic Hell in a Cell match. Seth Rollins had one of the best matches of the year last year inside Hell in a Cell with Edge. So they have a history there that they can go back to. And plus at this pay-per-view, Seth Rollins still needs to redeem himself for the last time he was in a Hell in a Cell match at the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view against The Fiend back in 2019. So I'm all for Seth wiping the slate clean. If if you put a gun to my head right now and said, pick a main event for Hell in a Cell, I'm probably going to pick Cody and Seth, right? Because I think that's the match that we can guarantee that we're going to get. And I do believe that is going to be one of the Cell matches. I really think we're going to get more uh, than one. The other question becomes, what is the second Hell in a Cell match? And as Ace brings up, the Raw Women's title uh, could be at inside Hell in a Cell. I think there is a really good chance, and, and Queen brings this up, uh, Judgment Day versus AJ Finn and Liv. I think that could, I disagree with her, I think that could be a great match inside of Hell in a Cell. I'd like to see uh, how that dynamic would work with a mixed tag kind of tag team turmoil thing going on inside hell in a cell. Cause we already saw last week where, you know, the guys kind of didn't want to mix it up with, with Rhea Ripley. And does WWE want to go there with the intergender matches? Uh, we have seen them kind of go there before. I mean, everybody remembers when Baron Corbin gave the, uh, end of days to, to Becky Lynch and everybody lost their damn minds. And then we got one of the best Seth Rollins moments of all time where he just lost his shit, and beat the hell out of him. That was really cool. Um, I think that dynamic there could really, really work. We also saw at the house show this past weekend and nobody saw the photo Finn and AJ and Liv having to reach sky high to do the, the two sweet to one another. So that's a, a trio that I would like to see. I think that match has a lot of promise if they book it, but as of right now, I would have to go Cody and Seth, but I do think the triple threat between Becky and Bianca and Asuka has a chance to overtake my interest of Cody and Seth, because as you said, Great chemistry. We've seen it twice already. And really, what is... I mean, Cody should win this match again. Like, Seth shouldn't come out and beat him like, for a third time. Cody needs to come hey, out that, and that, to uh, hopefully a title win here soon. 
that cements Cody as the top babyface. Three straight wins over Seth Rollins. He would be the favorite to win Money in the Bank in July. And that's going to be, that from the reports, that's going to be the next time Roman Reigns defends the championship. I think after SmackDown, I'm saying that Money in the Bank, it's going to be Riddle versus Roman Reigns. SummerSlam is going to be Randy Orton versus Roman Reigns. And then Clash at the Castle is going to be Drew versus Roman Reigns. I think that's the route they're going. I think the WrestleMania backlash six-man tag was there for a reason, and that was to establish a feud with all three guys, and that's going to be the three that he verses across these stadium shows. I still think at some point Nakamura is going to get his shot because they did tease it on television, but it ain't going to be in a pay-per-view. That that is a SmackDown match from Scream SmackDown to me. Maybe even before Hell and I don't see it happening at all, honestly, at this point. It does seem weird to to go back to that. But then again, they, they teased it. They set it up. They went away from it for three weeks. Then they teased it again. And then all of a sudden, now Shinsuke and Sami Zayn are doing their thing. But Sami Zayn is still connected to Roman Reigns in some way, shape, or form. So maybe it's still there. He's still an option. Could be a fallback. But Riddle being the one to kind of hit that strike on on smackdown this past week i agree with you i think riddle is a prime candidate uh to to face roman reigns especially if rk bro drops the tag team titles this friday which i don't think that's going to happen because if we were going to get a title change that match would be happening at hell in a cell or we're going to get some kind of bullshit dq finish and they'll end up putting that match inside hell in a cell and we're going to get to see it again and again and again because sp3 it is a tag team feud the only way to build up to a tag team feud is by constantly having these dudes wrestle one another leading up to, it doesn't matter if it's Los Lotharios and the, the Mysterios or the Usos in the New Day. They got to wrestle each other on SmackDown 12 times before we get to the pay-per-view. That's just how WWE uh, books that. One thing that we did see on this past, uh, oh, thank you, uh, AWO. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate everybody here. Happy Monday. Thank you to everybody who is tuning in. By the way, like, share, subscribe, pound the thumbs up button. Really kind of helps us out. Also, check out my pinned tweet, by the way. Go ahead and check that out. You can retweet this out. Subscribe to Believe in Pro Wrestling. Boom, you can win tickets to Money in the Bank. You can win tickets to Money in the Bank, and you can watch Roman Reigns defend his Universal Championship against Matt Riddle, as SP3 uh, just predicted would actually happen. But we did see a title defense uh, this past Friday on SmackDown for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Your girl, Ronda Rousey, coming out, ultimate babyface, throws out the, the, the open challenge, and it's answered by Raquel Gonzalez, which made me very, very nervous. Because Raquel Gonzalez should be somebody that they're building to be a future women's champion. And now all of a sudden in her second match on SmackDown, she's going against Ronda Rousey. And I'm sitting here going, you got to get this booking right. You have got to get this booking right. Because there's no way Raquel was going to win on Friday. I don't think it is possible to look any better in defeat to answer the question here than Raquel Rodriguez did on Friday. She whooped Ronda Rousey's ass. From bell to bell, she didn't get caught in the armbar and be forced to tap out. She slammed her around. She tossed her around. She used her size to her advantage. She beat the hell out of Ronda Rousey on Friday, which was incredible for Ronda Rousey to put Raquel over in such a big way. And then, yes, the only reason that Ronda won the match is because she caught her. She got her in a roll-up. She pinned her. Done. Lucky. Ronda Rousey is lucky today 
to be the SmackDown Women's Champion, speaking strictly in kayfabe. They did Raquel Rodriguez so many favors on Friday, and I'm so proud of WWE for booking this match the way that they did because they could have easily just gone, oh, well, Raquel's going to lose anyway, so it doesn't really matter how she loses this matchup. Yes, it totally did. This made her look spectacular on Friday and tells me they got big plans for her down the line. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it is possible to look any better in defeat in WWE than what Raquel Gonzalez, uh, Rodriguez looked against Ronda Rousey on Friday. I think that Ronda, uh, you know, is smart when it comes to these type of things. And I and I feel like when during her first run, she had the best match and the only match that really made Nia Jax feel like a monster and made her feel like a legitimate threat. Uh, during her during during her first run, their matchup at Money in the Bank was one of the best matches that Ronda had in her first run. Their rematch at TLC was also very good. And I think you got some of that vibe here with Raquel Rodriguez. Ronda's smart enough to realize when you're in there with someone that's bigger, that's larger than you, you have to make them feel and like a monster, like a legitimate threat. And that's what she did for Raquel Rodriguez. I went as far as to say this on Redacted, and I'll say it here. Um, Ronda did more for Raquel Rodriguez than Charlotte did for any of her opponents. And yes, I'm including the great match, and I'm saying it was a great match that she had with Naomi on SmackDown during her last reign. Really, all that did was set up Naomi for a tag team match with Ronda Rousey against Charlotte and Sonya Deville. It didn't do much to raise her stock. This did a lot more for Raquel Rodriguez than anyone who versed Charlotte Flair during her last run, and Ronda got her reign off to a good start. Yeah, and and look, man, like, you, you talk about one of the like you talk about with Omos, right? When you, when you're looking at somebody who's not who didn't come up as a pro wrestler, right? Who might still be a little bit of green. I'm not saying Ron is green, but somebody in that ilk who didn't come up as a pro wrestler. You look at their selling, right? Like that's one of the big ways to tell whether somebody's ready or not. Ronda sold her ass off uh, for Raquel on Friday, and I would agree with you uh, on your statement about Charlotte. Now, whether or not that is on Charlotte, whether or not that's on producers whether that's on creative or a combination of all of the above i would agree with you i think ronda definitely put raquel over on a big way and i do think that that was designed to be that way and we'll we'll see down the line how they book raquel and what her accomplishments end up being but i mean if you look i'm trying to remember the people that that charlotte defended the title against naomi yes who, who remind me because i know she had the match alexa, with becky lynch alexa bliss that's uh, right. That was a send off for like that was a good match. Yeah, but that was to Tony, send off Alexa. Tony Storm. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think that's pretty much it during that last run that she had for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Like yes. I like I said like I said before WrestleMania Backlash, she had been feuding with Ronda since January. So thankfully, she did not defend the title at Royal Rumble. Didn't nope. do it. She was in the match. Nope. They didn't have anybody that they wanted her to defend the title against. She was in the Royal Rumble. And then, yeah, what was Elimination Chamber? She defended Elimination Chamber? I can't remember. Was she on that? No, no she was in the tag match with Sonya Deville ah, versus Naomi and, and Ronda. Jesus. Again, I will say this until I'm blue in the face. Survivor Series, the, the Raw, the brand versus brand, battle for that shit needs to go away because that kills title runs. Yes, we got a fantastic match between Charlotte and Becky Lynch. But, man... We got a great match between Roman and Big E. 
but it killed Charlotte's title run and it kills Big E's title run because all of a sudden now we're heading into the top of the, the, the new year, the Royal Rumble, and this, that, and the other thing. And it's like, oh, well, who have they defended the title against? What program are we doing? Well, they just, just it kills all the momentum of those champions who have it during the fall. It needs to go away. But that said, Charlotte has gone away. Reportedly, indefinitely. We don't know when she's coming back. She's getting married. She's on her honeymoon. She's been written out, injury-related. Ronda broke her wrist. Okay, okay, Ronda broke her wrist. That means she should be gone minimum six weeks, right? Like, I'm no doctor, but that doesn't seem like Charlotte should be showing up within the next four weeks unless she's got a cast on her arm. All right, this this better not be one of those riddle situations where he's like, oh, I, I can't feel anything in my foot because I got frostbite when I was a kid, and then three weeks later, somebody's stomping on his foot, and it hurts, and he loses a match. This better not be one of those situations. Like, Charlotte better show up in three weeks with a cast on her arm, or she better not show up for, like, eight weeks. So the question is, what do we think the plan is for Ronda Rousey moving forward? Because she doesn't really have a clear-cut rival until Charlotte comes back on SmackDown. I thought Lacey Evans would have been a slam dunk. But they move Lacey to Raw. What the hell are we doing with Ronda now, SP3? Um, I, I mean, the fact that we had Aaliyah and Shotzi arguing that they weren't fast enough to get down to the ring to accept the open challenge, and but they were definitely fast enough to say I quit to Charlotte and Shotzi just a few weeks prior. I mean, yeah, I don't know who you have that can challenge Ronda Rousey that's a legitimate threat to Rousey. Um, there's Aya Lee who turned heel randomly with a short uh, promo who they can insert back in and try to heat up. But I think the most logical choices here is either Natalia or Shayna Baszler. I think that maybe since we didn't see them break up after their shot at the WWE Women's Tag Team titles yet. on SmackDown. Yet. Yes, they, they didn't break up yet. I think that the best route to do is to place Natalia as the first challenger for Ronda. And then that segues into Ronda versus Shayna Baszler. Cause I feel like if you do Ronda, if you could do Ronda versus Natalia at hell in a cell, I think the bigger matchup is Ronda versus Shayna Baszler and do that in Las Vegas, do it in a place where both women, you know, that's a fighting town. That's like where some of Ronda's biggest fights went down at where Shayna Baszler kind of, you know, scraped her teeth in the MMA game. I feel like that would be the best way that I would book things for Ronda Rousey's run. But I think over the next couple of weeks, we are going to see Ronda with these open challenges. With This is kind of what she did during her first run with the Raw Women's Championship. She had an open challenge and versus like Bailey, had an open challenge and versus like other, other superstars. So maybe we get an open challenge and we get either Shotzi or Aaliyah. Then we get an open challenge and we get, you know, Zia Lee. And then we can do the Natalia matchup at Hell in a Cell. Shayna Baszler at Money in the Bank. And then by the time we get back to SummerSlam, Charlotte Flair will be back into the fold and we can do their third matchup there. Yeah, um, I wholeheartedly agree with pretty much everything you just said. Uh, and I, I mean this in no disrespect to any other woman who's on the SmackDown roster right now. Um, you know what they all are for the next several weeks? Cannon fodder. That, that's exactly what they are. It doesn't matter who's next, whether it's Shotzi, whether it's Aaliyah, whether it's those two literally like pushing each other. Like I could see Ronda Rousey on Friday issuing an open challenge. And then we get Shotzi and Aaliyah who are fighting each other down the ramp to be the first one to enter into the ring to answer this freaking challenge. 
and then they get obliterated inside of 10 seconds because it does not matter. It does not matter. Zia Lee could be the next week after that. Does not matter. It could be Natalia after that. Does not matter. I would love an actual feud between Shayna Baszler and Ronda Rousey or Natalia and Ronda Rousey because there's enough history between them that the fans know about, at least the hardcore ones, to build something off of that people would be invested in. Shayna Baszler's won one singles match since November. If she gets a shot at Ronda Rousey in WWE's eyes, it ain't gonna matter. Cannon fodder. She's going to run through the entire SmackDown locker room until Charlotte gets back. The only exceptions, the only exceptions are if she goes against Sasha Banks or Bailey. The other two options in the four horsewomen who are currently on that roster because we know that Becky and Ronda ain't touching gloves until next year at WrestleMania. If people actually care about that match by the time that rolls around. If Bailey comes back and she's healthy and they keep her a heel, okay, that's going to go. What do you do? That's the other question is, what do you do with Sasha and Naomi now? Because they've literally already beaten every tag team in the division, including the newest one in Nikki A.S.H. and Dewdrop. So you could park that. That never stopped them. That never stopped them before. I understand that. So you can either do continue on by beating the same three teams over again, or you could park the women's tag team titles. And you could do something with Sasha and Ronda because they had a fantastic match between those two the last time they fought. You could you could revisit that. But I still think we're going to get the cannon fodder route. They're going to plow through everybody else. She's just going to be chucking chicks into a well, wood chipper. And then all of a sudden, Charlotte's going to come back in time for money in the bank. And then we're going to get match three, four, and five with these with these three, honestly. Until... The draft rolls around in September, and we get a fresh round of new challengers, a fresh round of cannon fodder uh, for Ronda Rousey, probably when we get another dumbass title flip, uh, and she heads over uh, to Monday Night Raw. Maybe. I don't know. Fox wanted her uh, as well, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, last but not least, as we move on here, I want to go back to AEW. We'll uh, we'll bracket this. We'll close with AEW because SB3, I still have no earthly idea what it was that I, I saw on Friday or what this was supposed to accomplish. But it seemed like Scorpio Sky was turning babyface. And that that seemed to be the correct way to go. Talking about he wants to, you know, return prestige and respect to this TNT championship. And he's feuding with Sammy Guevara and Ty Conti, who the crowd clearly freaking hates. And the crowd hates Dan Lambert. And the crowd hates Ethan Page. It looked like they were setting up a split there. And then after... Ethan Page costs Frankie Kazarian the TNT Championship on Friday. Scorpio Sky gets up in his face and goes, did you do that? Yeah, I did it. What? And then Scorpio Sky (laughs) decides, eh, fuck it. And he just beats the shit out of Frankie Kazarian because everybody's a heel in this situation now. Who am I supposed to root for? How does any of this booking make sense? It feels like um, Vince Russo took over the booking of just the TNT championship uh, since, what, last September? It's just random title changes, random swerves for no reason. The biggest reaction that Scorpio Sky has ever gotten was in Philadelphia when he won the TNT championship for the second time because he played a valiant babyface despite Paige Van Sant getting involved, despite Dan Lambert being in his corner. He played a valiant babyface who overcame Sammy Guevara, overcame Ty Conti, and won back the TNT championship. 
I do not understand in the least why he would turn back heel at this point. Maybe you're trying to delay this whole story going on with the men of the year, but honestly, the dissension between the men of the year was the most interesting thing about the TNT championship, and now you just wiped it away. It was such a baffling decision. The only thing that I was able to make sense of it is maybe possibly they're not doing the Scorpio Sky and Paige Van Sant versus Sammy Guevara and Ty Conti mixed tag match at uh, double or nothing, and maybe we're getting a uh, three-way between Sammy, Scorpio Sky, and Frankie Kazarian, and Frankie Kazarian is supposed to be the babyface in this whole situation, while Scorpio now is a That's tweener. What That's what Ace just uh, said. Yeah. It's a mess. Kaz is the only babyface here. Scorpio is the tweener, and Sammy is still a heel. The only the, the biggest confusion that I had in this whole situation was Sammy getting involved and making the save for Kaz at the end of Rampage. All of this doesn't make any type of sense. Tony, I understand there's been people that have been like, oh man, you know, the TNT championship, uh, you know, it changing hands is all right. It's a TV title. It's supposed to do that. But no, all this flipping and turning and swerves for no reason it has watered down a championship that i viewed on the same level as the aew world championship when miro was god's favorite champion but that feels like so long ago that that was last summer and we're about to approach the summer of 2022 and this title really hasn't been the same since miro dropped like all honesty like i i really want this to like somehow culminate in some kind of like a huge like battle royal for the TNT championship. And then Miro or Samoa Joe just comes down there and decimates everybody and just hits the reset button and walks away with the title. Like seriously, at this point, I'm kind of over it and I'm kind of done with it. Cause that, that was so damn confusing. I'm like, okay, this makes all the sense in the world. You're going to give Scorpio this big, long run. He's going to be a huge baby face heading into the LA show. Now you're turning him heel again before he ever really got, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. This is, I usually will praise AEW for their booking. This makes no sense whatsoever. You know what this makes about as much sense as? A 72-year-old man wrestling. Ric Flair is returning one final match in July. SP3, are you excited? Do you care? I could care less. I just don't want to see any legends, regardless of how you feel about Ric Flair, he is a legend. I don't want to see any legends die in the ring, and someone with a pacemaker in his art should not be wrestling. Period. End of statement. But hey, congrats to all you people going to Nashville. You got something to look forward to the day after SummerSlam. I'm I'm not going to watch. I'm not going to be there to watch an old man die. I can tell you that. I will be in Nashville. I will not watch this match. I'm sorry. This is a bad idea. I don't know who booked this. I don't know whose idea it was. It's not a good idea. I wish everybody the success in the world for this. I understand like to a point why you would book something like this because it's huge. It's Ric Flair's last match. How many last matches has Ric Flair had at this point? This scares me. Like genuinely, this scary. This is a guy who almost died a couple of years ago. This is a guy who was like knocking on heaven's door a couple of years ago. 72. That is how old he is, right? 72? Bad idea, man. I don't like 73. 73. So I don't like this. I don't like it one bit. 
We'll see how it works out. I wish the best for everybody involved. I really, really truthfully do. We appreciate everybody who tuned in today. Thank you so much. Rolling deep, our largest audience yet on these live shows. I think I'm going to make an executive decision right here and now. We're going to keep doing these live shows on Monday at 2.15. We're just going to keep doing them. Opens up my Sundays. Let's me go golfing. Weather's supposed to be good. I, also, I got a deck I got to finish. SP3 and I'll be back in our normal time slot, normal Tuesday time slot, 7 a.m. tomorrow. Recapping Monday Night Raw. How excited are you? The big cage match tonight. Lashley and Omos. Get hyped. Yeah, baby. We'll be back to break it down tomorrow. We appreciate your comments, likes, thumbs up, all of that. Make sure to hit that subscribe button. Check out my pinned tweet. Follow us on Twitter. Love you all. Believe in Pro Wrestling Podcast Live Edition brought to you by Bet Online. Chris Paul's a choke. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.